When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome in, everybody, to episode one. 59 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. What a show that we have for you tonight. It is Thursday. It is a little bit before midnight. We have the NBA draft. It has been going on for the last three hours, and I am here to recap it all. This is what I do for you. I'm staying up late talking about the NBA draft so that first thing tomorrow morning, first thing Friday morning, when you wake up, when you're commuting to work, when you're going to visit uh, your prison pen pal, whatever you're doing on Friday morning, it's not my business. Whatever it is, you have a brand new Aaron Torres Sports Podcast to listen to. It is episode 159. We are talking NBA draft, and there is so much to get into. Don't know if you heard, Zion went number one. Listen, I'm not going to do the boring pick-by-pick drafting that like like that's not my style you guys know that so this is what we're gonna do I thought there was one really big theme from Thursday night that went on throughout the draft it was a really important theme no one else is gonna tell you that I'll talk about the teams whose drafts I liked I'll talk about the teams whose drafts I didn't like some of the picks I like some of the picks I didn't like and then we'll wrap up and we'll get you out of here but there is so much to get into it's going to be such a great show. I'm so glad that you guys are here. It was a really fun night. And by the way, it has been a really fun week, a couple weeks, I should say, for the Aratora Sports Podcast. If you're not subscribed, you're going to want to do it. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you how to live your life. What I am telling you, this show is going to be great. And over the next couple weeks, I have some huge guests lined up. I got one of the most prominent coaches in college basketball coming on the show next week. I got a big-time baseball guest. Yes, baseball. I don't usually talk baseball, but it's the offseason. It's the summer. We're not. There's not as much going on in basketball, so I want to bring on people that I find interesting. So I got a baseball guest in the coming weeks. I got a football guest hopefully coming up. We'll find out in the coming weeks. More basketball people, all sorts of good stuff. So please make sure that you're subscribed to the show. And for people that are new to the show, for the per- people that are listening for the first time, this is what you're going to want to do. You can subscribe on iTunes. If you have an Android like me, 
You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. That is what I use to listen to this show. And as I've told you many times, yes, I'm that corny loser who listens to his own podcast only because I want it to be good for you guys. So Podcast Addict Lab, Podcast Addict app, make sure you're subscribed there. Um, tune in radio. You can listen there. You can listen on where else? Pod Paradise. If you're streaming it online, you can basically listen to it just about anywhere, but make sure you're subscribed. iTunes and Podcast Addict are the best place to do it. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go on iTunes. Give us a quick five stars. All this stuff really does help. Uh, Subscribe, rate, review. Also, Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. All sorts of fun stuff there. And of course, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. We did actually get a few on Kerry Blackshear today, the guy that played for the um, Virginia Tech. He's the grad transfer. His recruitment is coming down the wire. He visited Kentucky. If there's enough time at the end of this show, I will get to Kerry Blackshear, but I want to talk NBA draft. And finally, like I said, podcast questions at gmail, uh, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Sorry, it's a little late here, people. My mind is all over the place, but I want to get into this draft. And like I said, look, we all knew Zion was going one. We all knew John Morant was going two. We all knew RJ Barrett was going three. We got a couple trades that shook things up. Atlanta traded up to number four. They took DeAndre Hunter. The Minnesota Timberwolves traded up to number six, and they took Jared Culver. But look, I'm not going to do the whole, hey, uh, you know, let's let's spend 20 minutes breaking down Zion Williamson. No, the guy's awesome. He's great. He's going to be incredible. We've known the Pelicans are going to take him since the second that they won the NBA draft lottery. This wasn't a secret. This wasn't a surprise. And so I'm not going to be boring and just talk about pick by pick. What I am going to do, I'm going to talk about, as I said, later in the show, I'll get into some of the picks that I like, some of the picks that I don't like, but I want to start with one kind of overarching theme that I saw throughout this draft. And it's a theme that no one else is going to talk about. And it's a theme that, you know, if you guys listen to this show, I really hate to beat a dead horse, but I think it's important. And if you guys disagree, by the way, you can always reach out to me. Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Like if you're tired of me talking about this stuff, then go ahead and just tell me and I'll try to move on to the next subject. We're going to get into so much more as this summer goes on. Obviously, summer league basketball is coming up. Um, You know, listen, we're going to talk college football in the fall. And before you know it, basketball is going to be here again. But this is what I want to start with because I saw a theme on Thursday night and no one else is going to talk to you about it. But I am, and I'll tell you why. This was the theme. So, as you guys know, listen, I, listen, I love college basketball. I'll defend college basketball because I think it is a sport that is constantly dragged through the mud by the media, right? And everybody always says, oh, these kids, you know, all the stuff that I always talk about. The kids have it so bad. Life's so tough. Life's so terrible. They should all go to the NBA as quickly as possible. But you know what I noticed on, on Thursday night? You know what I noticed? We always talk about the NBA draft as, oh, it's all about potential and, oh, going to college doesn't even matter and what's even the point of going? It's a waste of time. Da-da-da-da-da, this and that. You know what I saw on Thursday night? I saw NBA teams that truly valued guys that produced in college. And again, all we hear is, oh, college doesn't matter. Just go, it doesn't even matter. You could go anywhere and do what. Well, 
Thursday night, it looked a little bit different. Because you know who were the guys that fell in the draft? It wasn't the fourth-year senior that was super productive. It was Romeo Lankford, who was a preseason top-five pick, who ended up going number 15 to Boston, and who people said if he hadn't gotten drafted by Boston, there was a chance he could have really tumbled down the draft boards. Um, It was Nasir Little consensus top three pick. You go to any mock draft before the season, Nasir Little was ranked ahead of Zion Williamson in every mock draft. He went number 25 to the Portland Trailblazers. Keldon Johnson, who we'll get into in a minute, he was a guy that, listen, I I never pick on kids, I never root against them, but the day that he declared, I said, I don't really see it. I don't know what he does at an NBA level that is going to warrant somebody drafting him in the NBA draft early where he's been projected. He was considered throughout the season to be Kentucky's best draftable prospect, the guy that everybody kind of thought was the guy that was going to be the first Kentucky guy off the board on draft night. He fell to 29 to the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I think it actually ended up being a really good landing spot for him. But it doesn't change the fact that this was a guy that we heard for months was going to be a top 10 pick, a top 12 pick, a top 15 pick, a lottery pick. And he ended up falling to 29 to the the San Antonio Spurs. How about Bo Bo? Bo Bo, oh, he's a unicorn. Oh, he can shoot threes and he's seven foot three. Well, first of all, he was injury prone this year. He actually didn't play terribly at the college level. But this is a guy who had attitude issues and who did not have the best reputation. I'm going to get into what I heard about him in the draft process in a minute. That guy fell all the way to the middle of the second round. That guy would have been a top 10 pick if high school players were allowed to come out in the NBA draft. So I think that's an incredible irony, right? If the NBA draft, if you could take high school players out, out, if you could take players straight out of high school, Zion Williamson probably would have been the fourth, fifth, sixth pick last year. Nasir Little would have been top five. Romeo Langford would have been top five. Bol Bol would have been top ten. By the way, Quentin Grimes, who didn't even enter this draft because he was so bad that he's now transferring from Kansas, um, that guy was going to be a top ten pick last year. So it shows you the value of college basketball. And by the way, look at some of the guys that went early in this draft. John Morant, sophomore, wasn't on anybody's draft boards last year at this time last year going into the season. I think people thought he was a draftable player. Nobody saw him at number two overall. Nobody saw Jarrett Culver at number six overall. How about Rui Hachimura? Just finished his junior year at Gonzaga. How about Cam Johnson? 23 years old, goes 11th overall to North Carolina. How about P.J. Washington, a guy who was incrementally, unbelievably, incrementally is not the right word, he was unbelievably better after his sophomore year than his freshman year. He came back. He could have gone. He could have done the whole thing, right? We always hear, oh, they got to go start their clock. Well, trust me, it worked out better for P.J. Washington in the long term. But I think this is something, like if I was a college basketball coach, I would use Nasir Little, Romeo Langford, and Bull Bull as examples of you can't just come here and coast. You can't just come here and hit cruise control because you know what? There can be real repercussions. And now look, all those guys are a slightly different deal, right? Like all of them fell for different reasons, but I think we can all agree 
that they didn't live up to expectations, right? Like like Romeo Langford, like I said on Twitter, oh, he didn't live up to expectations. Indiana fans got so mad. Oh, but 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 he averaged twenty. He 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 averaged sixteen points a game. He averaged more than Tyler Hero. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I actually do know what I'm talking about. This is one of the greatest scorers in the history of Indiana high school basketball, one of the most decorated high school players in the history of Indiana basketball, a consensus, as I said, top five player in this class, and was the guy that was supposed to save Indiana basketball. So I know that he averaged 16 points a game, but don't tell me that that guy lived up to expectations when people were talking about Indiana as, could they be a second weekend NCAA tournament team? And by the way, that's how people were talking about them in the preseason because of Romeo Langford. Could they potentially make a run to a Final Four? I don't think a lot of people were expecting it, but I think they thought that it was in play. Instead, Romeo Langford, the face of Indiana basketball, struggled. An Indiana fan, well, he averaged 16 points a game. Well, he also shot 26% from three. He also turned the ball over a ton. He also doesn't make anybody around him better. He doesn't do anything at an NBA level except he can get to the rim, and to his credit, he can finish around the rim. Now, I know he had some injury issues, but again, I don't think there's any doubt that his stock fell while he was in college. And don't tell me it's, oh, it's college, it's, it's Archie Miller's play. No, the kid wasn't ready. And like, this is my big thing, and we're going to get into some of the, uh, these other guys in a minute. But like, this stuff matters. This stuff matters. Like, it's amazing to me. You look at these kids, how many of these kids just don't know how to play? They don't even know how to play basketball. As a matter of fact, I think to use the next guy as an example, how about Nasir Little at North Carolina? This guy was the MVP of the McDonald's All-American game last year. He was the MVP of the Jordan Brand Classic, gets to North Carolina, and everybody wants to say, oh, well, it's because he was playing behind older players. It's because he was playing behind Luke May. It's because he was playing behind whoever. No, it's because he doesn't know how to play basketball. Like, did anybody watch him besides me this year? Like, first of all, the statistics were just abysmal. I mean, the kid averaged nine points, four rebounds per game. But, I mean, if you watched him, the kid didn't know how to play basketball. And it's not a knock. I'm not being disrespectful. But he didn't know how to play basketball. First of all, he's a little bit undersized for a guy that's supposed to be kind of a power player. He plays like he's 6'8", 6'9", but he's really listed at about 6'6". So he's already at a disadvantage. If you're 6'6", you better be able to hit a jump shot. Nasir Little can't hit a jump shot. And oh, by the way, he had no feel for the game at all. He can't create his own offense. He got completely lost on defense. And like, there's a reason that Roy Williams only played him 18 minutes a game. It's because he didn't know how to play basketball. And, like, I'm not saying he should have definitively came back or he wasn't going to be a star or that he doesn't have the potential to be really good in the NBA because I actually think he does have the potential to be really good in the NBA. But, like, let's stop with this, oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's the whole – the NBA is all about potential. No, it does matter. Are you kidding me? Cam Johnson's 23 years old and he just got drafted in the lottery because he knows what the hell he's doing because he produced, because he was a difference maker, because he can hit shots, because he has skills that translate to the NBA level. Being able to run and jump is not a discernible skill. And that's all Nasir Little knew how to do. And like, I would never tell a kid what to do. And I know that if you come back for your sophomore year, there's always a chance that you're in a worse position than you were before. But like, I think Nasir Little's a guy that needs to learn how to play basketball. I mean, if you're drafting between Nasir Little and P.J. Washington, who are basically the same player, like, P.J. Washington is a, is, knows how to play basketball. 
He knows how to get others involved. Rui Hachimura, a year or two older, knows how to play basketball. He gets others involved. He can shoot. He can score. He can take people off the dribble. Like, like to me, it's like, like we're, we're so in a rush to blame college basketball for everything. These guys aren't ready when they declare, and it was effective on draft night. By the way, Keldon Johnson, I got into it a minute ago. And listen, there's a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to this show, but you know what? Kentucky fan base is also the smartest fan base in basketball. And when he declared, a lot of Kentucky fans said the same thing that I did. And I said it on this show. I said it on this show. I said, kind of like Nasir Little. See, Nasir Little, I just don't think, knows how to play basketball. Keldon Johnson, what does that guy do at an NBA level? Like, I, I... like, like you look at Keldon Johnson. Yeah, he plays hard, and like, but I'm sorry, like, like pounding your chest and screaming to the roof isn't an NBA skill. And you look at Keldon Johnson. He wasn't a good shooter. He was inconsistent. He can't create off the dribble. I don't think he was as athletic as he was sold to be. And you kind of sit there and look. And like I said off the top, this was a guy that we were told was unquestionably Kentucky's best pro prospect. And like, look, in the long run, he might be. I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying, don't tell me college doesn't matter because college showed me that Keldon Johnson's got a long way to go. Now, his teammate, Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero has one very clear skill. That's he can shoot the crap out of the ball, and that's why Tyler Hero was a lottery pick. P.J. Washington's great all-around player. That's why he was a lottery pick. Keldon Johnson runs up and down, screams, shouts, pounds his chest, but he can't shoot, he can't dribble, he can't create for others. What does he do? I, you know, it, to me, it's just, it's unbelievable. And so I'll wrap up with the last guy. How about Bull Bull? Bull Bull, I think I told this story on the last podcast, but Bull Bull, I think, is a very important lesson for people in basketball. And if I did tell this story, I apologize. But if you, if we have people, the great thing I love about this show, so many of you guys reach out to me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever, is... We have people from all different kind of backgrounds. We have young people. We have college kids. We have high school kids. We also have older people. We have dads. We have parents. We have grandparents that listen to this show. It's a great listenership. And I'm telling you, to all the parents out there who have kids who play sports, Bowl Bowl is a learning lesson. And I'll tell you why. Because Bowl Bowl, throughout his high school career, gained a reputation as a guy that Nobody really knew if he liked basketball. Like, like, I, you know, I don't mean to criticize kids, but, but this is it. They're pros now. They're professionals. And the reputation of Bol Bol was that he didn't like basketball. He didn't try hard. And by the way, that reputation was well-earned. I saw him at a prominent AAU event where there were NBA scouts where there was meat, where there was everybody. He just pulled himself out. He just pulled himself out of a big AAU event. And he claimed he was injured. But then you see him on the side court goofing off and having fun. By the way, I was at the Nike Hoop Summit two years ago. Bull, bull. NBA scouts are in the gym. And he's like not trying. Like Bull, bull was legitimately going through the motions in front of NBA scouts. And look. The kid at the time was in high school. And you think when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, it doesn't matter. But those things stuck with Bull Bull. Now, obviously, Bull Bull had injuries. He only played nine games at Oregon. But, like, the fact that he had a reputation, the fact that in front of NBA scouts, 
that he dogged it, like that's a real thing. That's a real issue. And so to me, these are things that like, I I just, I don't think anyone else is going to talk about it because nobody wants to take college basketball seriously. Everybody wants to say how bad it is, how it holds people back. But the guys that took college basketball seriously, the guys that, that come back to school, the guys that work their butts off, the guys that have earned this, they earned it on draft night. Seriously, think about the think about even just the top 10, tw- top 12, top 15 picks. How many of those guys did not produce at all at the college level? Well, you could say Darius Garland because Darius Garland was hurt, but Darius Garland had a reputation that preceded him. He killed it in the pre-draft process. Um and like I, I don't really think of him as like a project. Like I think if he was, if he had played college basketball, he would have been somewhere between like the fourth and tenth pick, and that's where he ended up. But everybody else outside of Jackson Hayes, who we'll get into in a minute, everybody else produced at the college level. Like even Cam Reddish. Like Cam Reddish, I don't think he lived up to expectations. But it was very clear that if you watched him that what exactly everything that he was capable of and everything that he can be at the college level. Like, I think you can argue that Cam, Cam Reddish didn't live up to expectations at Duke, but I don't think anybody could say he didn't perform. He averaged 13.5 points a game as the clear number three guy on that team. And so you look at the, 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 the lottery picks where the real money is. Look at all the guys that went there. They all produced in college. Whether it was a freshman like Zion, whether it was a freshman like R.J. Barrett, whether it was an upperclassman like Jarrett Culver, like Rui Hachimura, like P.J. Washington. You go on and on down the list, and the guys that made money are the guys that killed it in college. And so to me, that is the wide, overarching theme of Thursday night. Everybody wants to crush college basketball. Everybody wants to say, what you do in college basketball doesn't matter. It's all about getting to the pros, get the You don't think Bol Bol wishes that there were some things that he could do differently? You don't think that Nasir Little was punished because he didn't perform at the college level? You don't think Keldon Johnson was punished because he didn't perform at the college level? And by the way, I give credit to these NBA teams too because you guys all know what happens, right? And you know, I'm just saying hypothetically. These kids, you have 30, 35 games of tape. You've been watching them at high school all-star events, McDonald's All-American, Hoop Summit, uh, Jordan Brand, all that. But what ends up happening is these kids and their agents think, well, we'll just, you know, yeah, he sucked in college or he didn't try in college. But once we get him into a workout, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna trick them all, right? And like, oh, he was great in a workout. And it's like, these GMs aren't fooled. These coaches aren't fooled. Now, look, I'm not saying that I agree with every pick. I'm not saying that I would have used a top 12 pick on Cameron Johnson from North Carolina who's 23 years old. But, like, you can't fool these NBA scouts, these NBA coaches. They saw the 40 games of film where you didn't produce. And now, all of a sudden, you expect us to pretend like that didn't happen because you had a couple good workouts when nobody, when you were playing one on zero. And so I give credit to the NBA scouts, but to me, this was the most fascinating subplot of Thursday night. The guys that produced in college were generally rewarded. The guys who didn't, the guys who tried to get by on hype, the guys who tried to get by on recruiting rankings were punished. All right. I want to get into some of the specific teams, some of the specific draft picks that I liked throughout Thursday night. A lot to get into, so much to get into, so much to think about. I'm trying to think of who impressed me the most. 
I think I would have to start with the Atlanta Hawks. I really do. And I give them credit. The one thing about the Atlanta Hawks, love or hate the Atlanta Hawks, love or hate Trey Young, love or hate whatever. I, I don't really know that anybody like loves or hates the Atlanta Hawks. They're kind of like one of those random teams that it's just like they are they, they just kind of exist, right? Like they're like the uh I don't know, the like the Calgary Flames or like the I don't know. I'm trying to think here. The the Washington Nationals. Like like does anybody have like a real opinion on the San Diego Padres? Like they just kind of exist, right? That's kind of how I feel about the Atlanta Hawks. But I'll say this about the Atlanta Hawks. They have a plan. This is one of my big theories in life, by the way, guys, is I don't care whether I love you, whether I hate you, whether I agree with you, whether I disagree with you. The people that I like in life are the people that have a plan. I've worked for major businesses, major corporations, major media outlets. They pay. There's guys at the top that make hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they have no idea what they're doing, and they have no plan, and it's by the seat of their pants, and they have no six-year plan, six-month plan, one-year plan, five-year plan. Now, I'm fortunate to say all the places I work now are very well run. I love working for KSR. I love working for Fox Sports Radio. I have another couple cool jobs coming up in the fall. But in the past, I've worked for places, and you go in, and every six months, there's a new direction. And you're like, what, what is going on here? Just get, tell me what to do so I can do it. And so I bring that up because the Atlanta Hawks have a plan. And I don't know if it'll work because only one team wins a championship every year. But the plan is very simple. Trey Young has a very unique skill set. Dribble drive, get into the lane, penetrate, kick, dish. And Trey Young, again, you guys know I've been pretty critical of Trey Young, but he had a pretty good rookie year. Trey Young was pretty solid as a first-year NBA player. And so clearly he is the building block. He averaged 19 points, 8 rebounds a game. Four re- four, uh, 19 points, excuse me, 8 assists, 3 rebounds per game, 4 rebounds per game. And he's the building block. And what you do is you, you give him the ball, you let him do Trey Young things, and then you surround him with a bunch of shooters. And so that's why I love this NBA draft for the Atlanta Hawks. First pick, DeAndre Hunter. Now look, that's not the guy I would have picked. I would have gone Jared Culver. We'll get into Jared Culver in a minute. But DeAndre Hunter kind of fits the bill. Athletic. He can shoot. He hit the biggest shot of Virginia's season. Well, second biggest behind Diakite against Purdue. Hit that shot to tie the game to send it to overtime against Texas Tech. They win the national championship. He can shoot. He can defend. He's a wing. He's athletic. He's versatile. He's interchangeable. I like that. I like the fact that you got Cam Reddish in the first round as well. Cam Reddish, like I just said a minute ago, I think at number 10, Cam Reddish is a steal. Like, I think we could look back, and he could be like second, third, fourth, fifth best player by the end of this draft. Like, if Cam Reddish averages 18 points a game for the majority of his career, like, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Like, Cam Reddish is a baller, dude. And you put him in a situation where everything's built around Trey Young, where Trey Young's the star, and where Cam Reddish can just go sit in the corner and jack up threes? That's a pretty good deal, man. That's a pretty good deal. And so I look at, like, you know, if you told me Cam Reddish had a better career than DeAndre Hunter or Darius Garland or Kobe White or Jackson Hayes, the guys that were drafted ahead of him, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I wouldn't be surprised at all because to me, I just think he fits perfectly in what is the modern NBA. 
And so I love those picks. I love what Atlanta did. I'll tell you who else I liked. I really liked the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, look, I'll be honest. I was a little bit critical when they took Darius Garland at number four. As I said on the last episode, that's not the guy that I believe is the fourth best player in this draft. I also think that his skill set is a little redundant with Colin Sexton, who you drafted in the lottery last year. Both kind of guards that need the ball, all that kind of stuff. But what I would say about it is this. When I really thought about it, I was actually okay with them drafting Darius Garland, and here's why. It's because at the end of the day, half these guys don't make it, and they get traded, and they get moved, and maybe in three years, I'm not predicting it, but maybe in three years, the Cavaliers are in a position to make to get a superstar, to get a difference maker. And one of these guys is probably going to get traded anyway. I mean, think about it. Brandon Ingram was the number two pick in the draft, was supposed to be the face of the Lakers franchise. He was just traded last week. Lonzo Ball, number two pick of the draft, was supposed to be the face of the franchise. Magic Johnson literally said, leave a couple records in the record book for me. He just got traded last week. Before him, D'Angelo Russell was supposed to be the face of the franchise. Number two overall pick got traded. Andrew Wiggins, number one overall pick, got traded for Kevin Love. And so to me, at first I was like, eh, Darius Garland. But now I'm just like, just go get the best player. And, and if you think Darius Garland is going to be the best player out of everybody that's available to you, then go get him. I have no problem with it because you're probably going to trade him at some point anyway. Later on, Cleveland, weird situation, by the way. So these insiders, they never miss on these things. And they missed on Cleveland's pick. Did you guys see this? Shams, he's a stud. He said Keldon Johnson was going to Cleveland instead it ends up as Dylan Windler. So for people who didn't see Dylan Windler, he played at Belmont. It's like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, Great story, by the way. He was like a junior golf champion when he was young and like really didn't get serious about basketball until he was probably about a junior in high school. So he fell through the cracks. He ended up... Um, Ending, uh, ended up at Belmont, wasn't recruited, wasn't on any recruiting service ranking, nothing like that. He ends up as a first-round pick. Now, I know we all thought it was going to be Keldon Johnson. I know the NBA insiders missed on that one. But I actually think it's kind of an interesting pick. And by the way, shout-out to my buddy Mike Mayer, for my former producer at Fox Sports Radio, who's now over at Sirius. Because he texted me and said, man, Windler is like, a, a, like he's such a John Beeline player, right? And so John Beeline, of course, is the head coach, was at Michigan. Now he's with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And like, if you remember, John Beeline's MO was to just take these like two-star recruits that were nobodies and turn them into NBA players. Karis LeVert was like that. Nick Stauskas was like that. Trey, um, the hell was his name? Not Trey. What was the kid? The kid, I can't remember. Trey Burke. Trey Burke, I was right. It was Trey. Trey Burke, Nick Stauskas, Karis LeVert, Tim Hardaway, all these guys that were nobody's coming out of high school. John Beeline turned them into stars. So like Dylan Windler, I could totally see that guy just averaging like 18 points a game his second year completely out of nowhere under John Beeline's system. But I'll tell you where I like the Cleveland Cavaliers picks. I'll tell you where they sold me. It was at number 30 with Kevin Porter. And so for people who don't know Kevin Porter's story, I'll give you a little bit of background. So I referenced a few times that I was at the Nike Hoop Summit a few years ago. That was where Bull Bull basically laid a complete egg in front of a bunch of NBA scouts. But the reason I bring it up is this. Every year at the Nike Hoop Summit, they have it's, it's the Team USA 
versus the world, right? So Team USA, two years ago, it was Darius Garland, it was Cam Reddish, Zion Williamson was there, but he was hurt, RJ, or um, Romeo Langford was there, but he was hurt. Then they play the international team. The international team that year had RJ Barrett, who obviously is from Canada. They had a bunch of other guys, et cetera, et cetera. But the day before the game, what they generally do is they have they bring in a bunch of local kids to scrimmage Team USA. And the game is in Portland, Oregon. And so usually the local kids are like played at Portland State. They played at University of Portland, Oregon State. And they're a bunch of high school players. And so Kevin Porter Jr. was brought in on that high school team to play Team USA. But here's the thing. There are NBA scouts in the building during these games. And so Kevin Porter came in with a big chip on his shoulder. And he said, screw this, man. I'm showing these NBA scouts how good I am. And so this kid went off. I mean, he was bananas. You can go on Twitter. You can go on Google, find highlights of it. I mean, he was between the legs, around the back, start and stop. And he killed everybody. He was brought in to scrimmage Team USA, kind of like a, 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 a sparring partner in, in, in boxing, right? Like he was brought in to basically get beat up by Cam Reddish and Darius Garland, whatever. And he killed them all. He was the best player on the floor. I texted the USC coaches that night. I said, Yo, KP just blew up in front of everybody. And one of the USC assistant coaches actually told me, he goes, well, here's the thing with KP. He's what we call a pro that you guys just don't know about yet. And so so Kevin Porter from that night went from completely off everybody's radar to people, somebody that people were talking about as a legitimate draft prospect and as a legitimate lottery prospect. Now, what ended up happening was he got hurt during the season. He had a big kind of deal with the assistant, with the coaches, not the assistant coaches, with the coaching staff. He actually got suspended in the middle of the season and was eventually reinstated, but he tumbled on draft night because of the quote unquote off the court issues. Now what I'll tell you is this, I've interviewed him a bunch, including a one-on-one interview for a magazine that I write for um, called Basketball Times. Love the kid. Great kid. I had no issues with him. So when I'm seeing that he's suspended, he's got attitude problems, blah, 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 this and that. I couldn't believe it because I just didn't see that side of him. But he was supposedly had off-the-court issues. He supposedly had problems. And I'm just telling you is I never saw those issues. And I talked to the USC people. They said it was about immaturity. It wasn't that he's a bad kid. But this was a kid that was a top 10 pick in the preseason that tumbled down draft boards. So for Cleveland to get him at 30, I love it. Because one, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. And two, I think he might be one of the five most talented players in this draft. And I think there's a real chance that we could look up and he ends up being the complete steal of this draft two, three, four, five years down the road. All right, a couple other teams that I love what they did. So I loved what the, who was I going to say? Oh, Memphis Grizzlies. Sorry, I froze there. Your, 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 your car radio didn't freeze there. That was me. I lost track of my notes, but I love what the Memphis Grizzlies did. So John Morant, number two, no doubt about it. By the way, did you see John Morant's dad? He had the black, the black coat, the top hat. I mean, that dude was ready to go. Shout out to John Morant's dad. Uh, he's a hero. He's not Torrent Craig, but he's a hero. Shout out to uh, John Morant's dad. Great guy. Loved the outfit. But what I also love from Memphis, how about it pick, what was it, 22, 21? They trade up to get Brandon Clark. You guys know how I feel about Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark has one clear discernible skill, 
that is not debatable. He is one of the best defenders and help side defenders and low post defenders in this NBA draft. And we all watch the playoffs. Some guys just need one skill to thrive, right? Kevon Looney for the Warriors, defense, energy, hustle. That's all he does. Uh, Quinn Cook just comes in, shoots three-pointers. That's all he does. Uh, Fred Van Vliet comes in, shoots three-pointers. That's all he does. And Brandon Clark has that one skill that's going to put him on the court. He can defend. He can block shots. He can rebound. He can hustle. He plays hard. And so I love this pick. I love what Memphis did to get in this situation. Another team that I love, and I hate to admit it, it pains me. I just mentioned them. This one really pains me, guys. It's the Golden State Warriors. Because, you know, I don't like saying nice things about Golden State. I think Steph's a little, eh, you know, the media's too nice to, to Steph Curry. But I love what they did. Because we know what the Warriors brand is. Spacing, movement, ball movement, three-point shooting. That's all they do, right? It, it, it's their brand, right? We all have a brand. Steph Curry's brand, great dad. Rob Gronkowski's brand, Drink beer off the side of a bus. Aaron Torres' brand, be awesome, be the true voice of college basketball. Everybody's got a brand. Warriors brand, three-point shooting, ball spacing, ball movement. So who'd they go get? Jordan Poole from Michigan, Eric Paschal from Villanova. For people who haven't seen him play, Jordan, uh, Jordan Poole, look, this was a guy that I think if he had come back to college, would have ended up as a lottery pick next year. He was the quintessential beeline, was like one year away from really blowing up. But all he does is stand in the corner, shoot threes, take people off the dribble, shoot, score, all that stuff. Eric Paschal, for people who didn't see Villanova a ton this year, basically he plays a lot like Draymond. Now, I'm not saying he's the next Draymond. That's not fair. I'm not going to put it on that kid. But you look at what that kid does. Big, wide body, physical. He's about 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". Can defend multiple positions. Can shoot at a 6'8", 6'9". He, again, he, I, I don't even know. I, I'm... I, I, I don't want to compare him to Draymond, but he plays exactly like Draymond. He plays exactly like Draymond. And so to me, um, I just love what the Warriors did. I just think they got two guys that they're going to be able to implement into their system. I think Pascal is more likely to be ready to go next year. But look, that's a team. There's going to be playing time to be had with Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant out. And they have to, at some point, really start thinking about what the next phase is is for that organization. Steph Curry's 32, or he's 31, he'll be 32 next year. KD is 30, 31, he'll be 32 next year. He'll be 33 before he returns. If he returns, Klay Thompson's about to turn 30. They got to start building towards the future. I like those two pieces. Those are teams I, oh, by the way, I should mention Philly. Philly, as best I can tell, did not have a first-round pick. But I think they murdered it in the second round. Well, they had Ty Jerome. They drafted Ty Jerome... But I believe that they gave him to Phoenix. They did get Matisse Thybul. I'm not a huge Matisse, Matisse Thybul guy. But I love what they did in the second round. So they had three picks in the second round. Carson Edwards, Bruno Fernando, Admiral Schofield. I love it. I'll tell you why. Carson Edwards, all that, do, that dude does is just hit threes, just jack threes and go. You play him on the second team. I don't even know if you have Ben Simmons in there. Whatever. You can never have too much shooting. Carson Edwards provides it. Bruno Fernando, if you watch Maryland, that guy just plays his ass off 
every single night. He plays so hard. If this was 1999, Bruno Fernando would have been a top 10 pick. I mean, that's a guy that in the old days would have been a 20 and 10 guy. Now, he needs to work on kind of the step out, all that stuff. But I mean, he is big, athletic, strong, physical. He's the kind of guy that is going to find a role in the NBA for a long time. And then, Admiral Schofield. You guys know I love Admiral Schofield. And Admiral Schofield, I've said it and I stand by it. What I love about Admiral Schofield, he's a guy who has been a role player before. He was a role player at Tennessee before he became a star. And so I think when he gets to the NBA, not only can he guard multiple positions, not only can he do uh, a lot of different things offensively, not only can he hit three-pointers, which is obviously a prerequisite for playing in the NBA, but he can be a role player. Like I said, when you draft in the second round, you got to make sure you're drafting a guy that doesn't think he's going to be a star. you got to draft a guy that you know is going to be comfortable playing a role. And so I love... What the, what the 76ers did there, because I think they got three pieces that can really help them down the road. I will say, I don't, I, I don't think there was any teams whose drafts I really hated. Uh, I will say there was one team that kind of stood out, though, that I was a little bit disappointed in. That's actually, believe it or not, and you're going to laugh, it's the New Orleans Hornets. New Orleans Pelicans. New Orleans Pelicans. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said help uh, Hornets. I must have been looking at something. New Orleans Pelicans. Look, I know they got Zion. I know the face of their franchise has changed forever, and they're the winners because they got Zion. But I'll tell you this. I thought there were some really good players to be drafted at four, and they traded out of the number four spot, where I think they should have taken Jared Culver, but they traded out of the number four spot to Atlanta, who drafted DeAndre Hunter. And my whole thought was, okay, if you're going to draft out to number eight, you're either going to trade that pick because the story with New Orleans, right, is they want veterans. They don't want to go through this rebuild. They want to compete right away. And so if you're going to draft out a number four and you can get a DeAndre Hunter or a Jarrett Culver who can help you next year, you're drafting back to get assets to build up your team to go forward. Great. So when you get to number eight, you're either going to trade the pick or take the best available guy. Cam Reddish is there. Cam Reddish has a skill set that translates to the NBA. And instead, he draft Jackson Hayes. And that's one I just don't get. I just don't get how Jackson Hayes fits into all this. Because again, you got the guys. You're building for now. You're not building for five years from now. Jackson Hayes is a guy that he had a growth spurt in the middle of his high school career. He didn't even start for his high school until his senior year. He played JV as a junior. Had a huge growth spurt as a senior. Blew up. Ended up going to Texas. His potential is through the roof, but at the same time, I'm just saying, you're telling me that the window with Zion is now, that you're trying to make the playoffs right now, and you went ahead and drafted a guy who's not going to be ready for two or three years? I just don't get it. All right, going to wrap up here. We're already at the 40-minute mark. couple draft picks that I liked outside of the teams. Let's just talk about players, and I think you guys know where I'm going to go, where I'm going to start. First of all, I'll say this. I love Jarrett Culver at number six to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, look, the Minnesota Timberwolves, as a general rule, they're a mess, right? But after the Jimmy Butler fiasco and all that. But what they need is professionals. They need guys to come in and just be pros. And Jarrett Culver is the ultimate pro. I know he didn't shoot the ball really well this past year at Texas Tech, but I'm telling you, 
He is one of the hardest workers that I have ever, I've had so many people tell me I've never been around a guy that works this hard. Guy's a consummate pro. He's no nonsense off the court. People who don't, for people who don't know, his father is a pastor. He grew up in the church. He's not into the nightlife. He's not into chasing girls. Like that guy's just a pro. And I just think he, there's no way that he isn't at least good. There's no way that he isn't at least good at the NBA level. And so I think Minnesota got a good – I think they got the fourth best player with the number six pick. And I think that's a team, kind of what I said with the Cavs, like they just need good players. Like they just need to draft talent. And so I think they got that at Jared Culver at number six. Number nine, Rui Hachimura. I love it. Same thing with the Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards have missed on a lot of draft picks over the years. And you look at Rui Hachimura. Look, I don't know that he does anything great. And I know I said I like guys who do one specific thing. Tyler Hero can shoot. Brandon Clark can defend. Uh, Admiral Schofield can do a little bit. Of, like, Rui Hachimura is a guy who does everything. And he does it above average. And by the way, Rui Hachimura, I would say this. Even though he was a junior at Gonzaga, he's still new to basketball. He didn't really get into basketball until he was about 16, 17 years old. And so he is just starting to figure it all out now. And so even though he, he was a junior in college, his trajectory is more like a freshman or a sophomore. He's only going to continue to get better. And so I love that Washington took him there because, one, I think he's really good. I don't think he has a real weakness. I don't know that he has one great strength. But this is a guy that's about 6'10". He can shoot. He can handle the ball. Not an elite ball handler. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not taking you off the dribble. But he's a better playmaker than people realize. I think he's going to be really good at that level. And the Wizards, they just need players. Look, John Wall's hurt. They're probably going to have to start this rebuild. They might trade Bradley Beal, and they got a guy there. Last couple guys, uh, P.J. Washington from Charlotte with the Hornets. You guys know I love P.J. First of all, P.J. Washington, friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to P.J. Washington. We appreciate him joining us in April. But beyond that, what I love about P.J. Washington is kind of like Rui Hachimura. Like I said, he does everything. And this is a guy that came back to college, that did what he was supposed to do. He, he took the feedback from the NBA draft process last year, and look at what he did. He got in a great shape. He worked on his jump shot. He can still score down low. He handles the ball better. He's a better playmaker. I just think that's a guy. I had a, 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 radio, a buddy of mine who's a radio host in Charlotte hit me up via DM on Twitter and said, what can I expect out of this guy going forward? I said, look, I don't know if he'll ever be an all-star, but P.J. Washington is never going to let you down. P.J. Washington is never going to be a guy that you sit there at the end of the night like, man, I really wish, uh, man, it just, yeah, I just wish uh, P.J. played a little bit harder. No, P.J. plays his butt off. He's really good. He's really talented for a guy that's 6'8", 6'9". I think he is going to be able to be a starter, play multiple positions, defend multiple positions. I love it. Last couple guys, Tyler Hero. I mean, come on. First of all, as I said on the last show, I was the one, I think I was a little bit ahead of it. I tweeted out the story, the, the, the nugget, that he killed the Boston Celtics draft workout about three weeks ago. 80 out of 100 shots, and he lit the place on fire. And what I was told was that the Celtics love Tyler Hero and that the Miami Heat love Tyler Hero. And that one of the two, that he wouldn't get past those two, which had the 13th and I believe the 15th pick, maybe 13th or 14th pick, whatever it was, that he wasn't getting past those two. He goes to Miami. Miami is, of course, run by Pat Riley, former Kentucky Wildcat. And I just think 
Tyler Hero is going to kill it there because Tyler loves to work. He works hard. He plays his butt off. Uh, he's constantly in the gym. And the Miami Heat just have a professional culture. It's all about getting better. It's all about working hard. It's all about the, the organization, the family. I think he's going to thrive there. By the way, shout out to Tyler Hero, a guy that nobody thought was going to be a one and done when he got to Kentucky. Here he is. He goes. He does what he's supposed to do. He becomes a one and done. I told this story, by the way, that Nike Hoop Summit that I keep referencing, Kevin Porter I talked about, uh, Cam Reddish, Darius Garland. Tyler Hero was there. Tyler Hero played the second fewest minutes on Team USA a year ago. And after the game, I asked the coach, I said, was there something Tyler did wrong or what, what was it? And the coach said, I was trying to win the game. And so Tyler Hero got benched because the coach was trying to win the game. Fast forward a year later, he ends up being a lottery pick. Some of the guys that played ahead of him, including Quentin Grimes, are still in college. Quentin Grimes is transferring. So it's unbelievable. So Tyler Hero, last guy I want to give a shout out to. By the way, Grant Williams goes to the Celtics. I just think he's going to defense energy hustle. There's nothing really more to say. I just think Grant Williams makes so much sense. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's going to miss. Last one, last guy, Daniel Gafford. I don't get it. I don't get how he fell out of the first round. I know he didn't live up to expectations at Arkansas, but I think anybody that watched Arkansas knows that he wasn't used in the best way possible at Arkansas. Mike Anderson wanted to make him a back-to-the-basket center. And oh, by the way, this was a guy who, first of all, there are no back-to-the-basket centers in the NBA. And so Mike Anderson did this guy no favors. I know he wasn't great. But I just think when you're that big, 6'10", 6'11", athletic as hell, you run the court, you protect the rim, you rebound. Like, how does that guy, I just think, I think he's Kevon Looney. Remember Kevon Looney from the Warriors? Like, all Kevon Looney does is rebound, hustle, energy, defense. And you know what? Kevon Looney's made a lot of money as an NBA player. And he's going to make a lot of money as a member of the Golden State Warriors. I love Daniel Gafford with the Chicago Bulls. All right, so... I just did 50 minutes, and as I'm finishing recording, the last pick of the draft, the Sacramento Kings just drafted somebody named Vanja Markinovich. So Vanja Markinovich is the final pick. I am out of here. This was the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Please make sure to rate and review the show. Five stars are encouraged. Make sure you're subscribed. iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, whatever. Tune in radio, all those places. Make sure you're following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Also, any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Thank you guys for the time. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. I will be back Monday. At least one good guest next week, maybe two. We'll see. See you then. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. 
perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.